Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the criminal trial stemming from the tragic death of Ahmad Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan, and was eventually shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. With verdicts of guilty rendered against the three defendants, we continue our complete coverage of the trial from gavel to gavel. In our last episode, we began our examination of the defense team's closing argument with the first half of Jason Sheffield's closing on behalf of Travis McMichael. In this episode, we will follow Sheffield to his conclusion. That's all coming up after the break. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. In the second half of Jason Sheffield's closing argument, he presents the rest of his narrative for how the totality of Ahmaud Arbery's actions in the weeks and months leading up to and on February 23, 2020, provided Travis McMichael legal justification for shooting and killing Mr. Arbery in self-defense. As we mentioned in our previous episode, we present much of Sheffield's argument with only minor edits and narration for clarity or concision. When we left Sheffield's narrative, he was recounting that Travis McMichael observed Mr. Arbery's encounter with William Bryan's truck and decided to drive in the opposite direction around the neighborhood Oval to see if he could keep an eye on Mr. Arbery's retreat. But before Travis McMichael started driving, Sheffield suggests that he witnessed what the defense characterizes as Mr. Arbery trying to carjack William Bryan's vehicle. Judge is going to charge you on hijacking a motor vehicle. A person commits the crime of hijacking a motor vehicle in the second degree when such person obtains a motor vehicle from an individual without his or her consent. Travis is watching this gentleman try to get in the car in an aggressive way, and he thinks that does not look good. Whether he thinks to himself that's a hijacking or not, it doesn't look good. It looks dangerous. Travis also told you that when he came face to face with Mr. Arbery, even though he didn't speak, he looked very angry, he looked very upset, clenching his teeth, but not saying a word. These are the notes I took about it, right in front of you guys. Just wrote it down as he was talking. Stop, please stop. Mad, clenched teeth. It was very unexpected. What's going on? I want to talk to you. What's going on? Police are on the way. And then his dad says, go back. He says, I am not going back there. I'll go from Buford around to Holmes. And that's what he does. He drives around. Now, his dad's in the back of the truck. His dad is old and infirm. He's sitting on this bench in the back of the truck. Travis says he's going with his foot on the brake pretty much three or four miles an hour. Drives all the way around thinking, I'm not going to go back into this mess down here. I'll drive around. And when he drives around, you've now learned about this dog leg. That black line essentially is the dog leg. You can't see past it. Travis tells you the first thing he sees is Mr. Arbery doing a U-turn right there at the crest of that turn. What does he do? He watches. Does he drive at him? No. Does he try to tackle him? No. Does he put a shotgun at him? No. Does he yell at him? No. 
He's trying to continue to assess the situation in a reasonable, prudent fashion. Then he drives across the dogleg, comes all the way to the end of the street, and he sees Mr. Arbery again with this truck. Again, with this truck, tangled up with this truck. And what looks like, again, aggression at the truck. So Travis stops. He stops. He's thinking to himself, why is this guy not running through this open yard? This is Satilla right here. This is Holmes. This is where he sees the truck. What is with it that this guy's not going this way? And who is that truck? What's happening? Instead, they both run around Travis, back up around the dog leg. So Travis says, okay, I'm watching, I'm looking, I'm gonna pull forward, stop in my car at the end of the street, and I'm just gonna take up a spot right here. I'm gonna take up a spot here. I know that he's currently not over here. I know he's not behind me. I can see my house right there. I can see up Satilla Drive, and I'm looking up homes. I'm just gonna take up residence right here, and I'm gonna watch to see what happens next because maybe this guy will come back and we can stop him, or maybe he'll just keep running that way. Maybe he'll keep running that way, and I can tell the police. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's not this way. Pretty sure he's not over here. He's not there. He's headed that way. What he doesn't know is that Mr. Arbery is turning around up on the other side of the dog leg, and this is where our video picks up. In Jason Sheffield's narrative, Travis McMichael is merely an observer staking out a vantage point. He argues that his client took a lookout position at the spot where Holmes Road intersects with the streets where the encounter with Ahmaud Arbery began. He argues that, in spite of the fact that Greg McMichael admitted to shouting threats at Mr. Arbery, his 911 call and the sound from William Bryan's camera manifest no evidence of shouting or threats. But what you don't hear on that phone, even after audio enhancement, even after any kind of, of um, working with audio specialists and digital specialists, you'll never ever hear any yelling and no communication between Travis or Greg. The state wants you to think that it's at this moment, Greg McMichael drives by and says, I'm gonna blow your GD head off. Well, if he said it, You'd have heard it, been on that telephone, and they'd have played it for you. It ain't there. Sheffield moves on to his narrative of the final encounter between Travis McMichael and Ahmaud Arbery as William Bryan's video plays on the court TV screen. So, Roddy Bryan is all the way up. This blue mailbox down here, a closer up picture, is where Mr. Arbery turns around. This is the demonstration video with Seacrest. And this is Mr. Bryan's actual video. This is how far up the road he is. This is the, the minute that he's been with his phone down on the floor. And in this minute, two times Mr. Arbery is going to run towards Travis. First time, turn around and go back. And the second time, he'll turn around and go back. And that's where that video will pick him up on the second time. So, the first time Ahmad Arbery comes across that dog leg, he's coming at Travis. At this moment, he's looking into Travis's eyes and he's coming at him and ultimately is going to get within 10 feet of him running while Travis is saying, stop, do not come any closer, stop right there, stop. 
no gun in his hand, just saying, stop, do not come any closer. Now at this moment, Travis has already had his experience, obviously, where he reached for the gun before, where he was acting bold. He's not going to forget that. He's not going to forget that he just saw what looked like attacking this truck, acting violent, being bold. And none of what he experienced that day will be forgotten. I'm trying to talk to him. We want to talk to you. What's going on? We've called the police. And noting that he's not acting right, something is off, and Dad's saying, going back there, and he said, no way, I'm not going back to that. But now he's running at Travis. We have proof that he was on that truck because his palm print is right there, and it's consistent with a right thumbprint right there. That's just one piece of proof that his hands were on the door that supports Travis's belief that he was trying to get into that truck. And here he comes. And Travis finally takes a stand and says, do not come any closer to me. Ultimately, Travis, when he gets about 10 feet, reaches into the truck like this, and that's what causes Mr. Arbery to turn. He runs all the way back. Travis testified, I ran to him for about 10 yards. I don't know because my main concern is this guy's got a gun. I'm trying to avoid the whole situation from happening. So he watches him. There's, there's two options here. There's watching him until the police arrive and giving directions, and there's also stopping him. But he's not going to chase him to stop him. But he is going to try to stop him and detain him, especially when he's coming at him. So he watches. Again, taking up, looking out, trying to be ready. And by the way, where are the police? Where are they? They should be here by now. That's what he says to his dad. Where are the heck are the police? Did you, did you call the police? No, I don't have my cell phone on me. He's like, what? Dad. Yeah. The house, the number, gives it, listens, gives it to him. Again, it's what, it's what they do. They call the police. And now Amon's coming back for the second time. The second time that Mr. Arbery comes down the street, Travis says he gets 30 to 40 feet from him. He's afraid that he will be on him in a matter of seconds. He is afraid that he will beat him with his fist or whatever weapon he might have. And he's scared. And so he's done what he thinks the law allows him to do, which is to try to de-escalate that approach by showing force showing force necessary to prevent Travis himself or his father from getting beaten and possibly killed. And so he raises the gun and he does it to defend himself, to protect himself. They call it the 21 foot rule. So he was a little early, he was at 30 to 40. But he did it because he was afraid. And what happens is it causes a reaction from Maude. He changes from the left side of the road to the right, but then he starts coming back at Travis across the road again, and then gets even closer. He starts on the left, it causes him to change, but then he comes back again. Once the gun is down, he comes back again. 
and changes to the left side of the road, and now we see him going back over toward the right. Now, Travis, this is his truck looking down on it. Travis is here, originally in the door jam, but he told you as Mr. Arbery came closer, he did this and made him change direction. Now he's coming, he's wavering on the road, and so Travis is walking away. He's backing up. He's not charging at him. He's backing up to try to create space and distance. He has this gun here, and he is literally watching him. We see his foot plant right there, and Travis is thinking to himself, please turn, please turn, please turn. That's what he told y'all, that's what he told Nohilly. Please turn into this yard. Please don't come at me. I am backing up. I'm just trying to keep an eye to make sure you, please don't come at me. And as he comes around to the far side of the truck, he can't see him. He's backed up over here, but so he's he's stepped up over here to try to get a look at what's happening because he's afraid that Mr. Arbery is going to be down or finally go for the gun or seek cover or something. Please turn, please turn. Please go off into this yard. He never, ever, when he left his driveway that day, thought that things would end this way. Not ever. We'll be back with the conclusion of Jason Sheffield's closing argument right after this break. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Jason Sheffield's argument regarding what was going through his client, Travis McMichael's mind, continues with the moment when Ahmad Arbery runs around the right side of McMichael's truck, and McMichael moves around his door and back towards the front of his truck. William Bryan's video of the last seconds of Ahmad Arbery's life plays on the TV screen. He told us, I'm on the left side of my truck, I'm waiting for him to get by. He told us, if he would have run by me, no problem. I was giving him the opportunity to run by me. Travis doesn't have a duty to retreat. He's allowed to stay where he thinks he is lawfully allowed to be and to try to defend himself and others. And then Ahmad takes that turn. Not this turn, but this one. And you'll see his feet come, his elbow raises, and Travis is thinking, if this guy gets a hold of my shotgun, this is not going to end well. He's going to end up with the shotgun and kill me. Travis is thinking, my son. Ahmad comes around, squares up, and you will see Travis's head is right there. His head never comes past that seat post. But you will see Ahmad come across to Travis and the first shot happens right over here. 
and watch up top as he moves across. You see the white shirt moving across in between those two headrests and you see Travis's head never comes beyond that front end of his truck. It's all up here with the t-shirt. Right here, his head is down. He's in full charge. First shot has already happened. He's charging with his feet. Travis is trying to brace himself. Is there any question that Ahmad Arbery had his hands on this firearm? Any question at all? Travis in his interview told you, I, I was under shock, I was under stress, I, I, I don't know. If he had his hand on the gun, I think he did. I, th I think he did, I think he had my shirt, I think he was punching me. Travis is in a state of disrepair. There is no question that Ahmad's hands are on this gun. And the medical examiner from that stand told you that if Ahmad Arbery is grabbing this gun and trying to pull it away, that as the gun gets pulled out of his hands and fired, it could fire right on that wrist and shoot into the chest and go across the body. Pull it straight out. No question. This is about this gun. Travis turns into a mod, trying to use his entire body, pulls the end of the shotgun away from him. Gets pushed across the road into the grass and the second shot goes off. Here's the plume and it's believed that it didn't hit Mr. Arbery. Travis, coming out of the grass now, trying to yank this gun from Mr. Arbery. Again, trying to yank it away from him. Ahmad's hand still on it. Ahmad's fist now raising. Is there any question that Ahmad Arbery is assaulting Travis McMichael right before that third shot? Not one single bit of question. And that third shot goes off. And these two minutes end where they started, face to face, looking into each other's eyes. Never a word being spoken by Mr. Aubrey. And it is absolutely horrific and tragic that this has happened. And again, this, this is where the law is intertwined with heartache and tragedy. You are allowed to defend yourself you are allowed to use force that is likely to cause death or serious bodily injury if you believe it's necessary. At that moment, Travis believed it was necessary. This is a law that is for a person in Travis's situation. And you can do it to prevent death to yourself or a third person or to prevent the commission of a forcible felony, like aggravated assault. Aggravated assault is a felony which can occur by use of fists. Greg McMichael with a hip replacement, heart attack, stroke, sitting in the back of that truck. Travis was afraid for him. If this was a case about wanting to murder a black jogger, if this was really a case about that, 
Travis would not have reacted the way he reacted. It was described to you by Brooke Perez. She talked about how totally freaked out he looked, how totally discombobulated he was. And she was right. He told you why he raised the gun, because he was afraid that he would be on him within seconds. And the gun did exactly what he hoped it would be. It deterred him. And why ultimately he shot. In his final moments, Jason Sheffield takes on Prosecutor Linda Dunikowski's arguments of what the state has proven and reframes the actions of Travis McMichael as responsible and cautious rather than felonious and reckless. They have a duty to you to prove under the law that Travis, at the time he raised that gun, was not in fear. That at the time Travis shot Mr. Arbery as he came across the front of that car and held the gun and punched him, that he was not in fear of receiving a serious injury or death. And they have a duty to prove to you that when Travis stopped to talk to Amon, that he did so to commit a felony of aggravated assault. It's every time you're walking in your neighborhood and somebody pulls up a truck next to you and says hi or hey, they've committed an aggravated assault or a false imprisonment? Where's the evidence of that? You're gonna be asked to make a decision about each person accused. Travis McMichael will have his form, Greg McMichael his and Roddy Bryant his, and you will be given the option on every one of these charges for not guilty or guilty. The evidence that's been demonstrated to you I think is overwhelming, but it doesn't come without hardship on you, consequence for these families. But I think the evidence is clear in this case. Travis had spent nine years in the Coast Guard, search and rescue, policing the water, sometimes 200 feet offshore, going into situations that were very difficult working with law enforcement, reaching out and extending his hand as firefighter, law enforcement officer combination. For the first time in his life, Travis is now in those waters. He is now the one who needs help. Our goal here has been to do everything we can to dive into those waters, to search for the truth, to pull it from the icy depths and to raise it to the surface. And we have done that. We have done that with Travis McMichael. We have carried him to the surface to you. And now the choice is yours. Will you do as he has done? In the past to others. Will you reach out your hand and extend it to Travis McMichael and pull him out of those waters? I think if you've heard anything that I've said, there's only one decision. He is not guilty on all charges. That concludes this episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery. Join us on our next episode as we examine Lara Hoag's controversial closing argument on behalf of Greg McMichael. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial Audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery. <laughs>